Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit to be here amongst us, to open our ears to hear your Holy Word, to open our minds to understand it, and above all, to open our hearts that that Word may live and grow there, we ask in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. As I said at the earlier service this morning, uh, this gives one the impression of a week with two Sundays in it, because we were so caught up yesterday with the glory of the ordination service, and then immediately thereafter we come back today to uh, observe this particular Sunday and to also be present as one of the persons ordained offers the holy sacrifice uh, for the first time. Before we processed up this morning, I turned to Father Bruce and said to him, my wish for you is that every time you offer the Holy Sacrifice, say Mass, celebrate the Communion, whatever phrase you want to use, every time you do it, it will be with as much anticipation and awe as uh, it is on this particular day. May I also say to all of you, all of us, because I'm included very much in this, that every time we come to the Holy Eucharist, whether we receive or not, every time we come, we will do it with expectation and awe and never reach the stage where, oh, it's the communion service again and yawn our way through it. It is very important to realize just how precious a gift this is to us. And we pray that the priests who offer it on our behalf will always be found uh, worthy so to do, and that they will always hold the uh, concept of being the uh, person who is leading us in such an incredible act. St. John's Gospel does not have an account of Christmas per se, as you're well aware, but the opening 14 verses of the Gospel, sometimes known as the prologue, sometimes called the last gospel, because at certain times and in certain places when the Mass is said, the priest says this at the very end of everything. And the last sentence, or the last line or so, of that prologue has the words, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And it is that Word being made flesh that dwells among us today, particularly in this service. We have just finished the great celebrations of Christmas flowing over into the Epiphany. All of our music has been joyful and upbeat. All of our thoughts have been full of joy. Someone said, why can't we have Christmas all year round? In the and I would go further and say, well, why can't we have the spirit of Christmas with us all year round, even though uh, at, uh, uh, it is very important for us to observe the various moods that are created with each of the seasons in the liturgical year. But uh, you know you're getting old when you keep saying, when I was growing up. But I am going to say it now. When I was growing up today was known by everybody uh, with, in the Anglican area 
as Septuagesima Sunday. The three Jessimas, Septuagesima, Sexagesima, Quinquagesima. And it simply means Septuagesima. There's about uh, 70 days left between now and Easter. And because you have been caught up in celebration, because you've been caught up in joy, uh, you are reminded that very soon you'll move from that joyous season into the more somber season of Lent. Three weeks' time, Ash Wednesday. And so that that will not hit you with too much uh, of, of an abrupt change of pace, the church in her wisdom used to say, we're warning you. We're like the, the yellow, the amber light on the traffic signal. You don't go from, uh, from green to red without having a warning it's going to happen. And so uh, these Jessima Sundays, and I suppose we'll never reach the stage where we'll restore them as such, uh, that notwithstanding, we should remind ourselves that Lent is approaching, and Lent is such a very, very precious time uh, for all of us. But the word being made flesh permeates right through the whole of the Christian cycle, the Christian year. And so at Christmas, we actually think of God Almighty becoming one of us in order to save us. Then on the presentation or the purification, I noticed the hymn we just sang in the hymn book actually refers to the feast as the purification. It's the same day that Christ is brought to the temple, but his mother goes for the rite of the Jewish rite of purification after childbirth. And through it they give thanks to God that they have this wonderful little boy whom the angel has told will be such a wonderful person. And uh, that is confirmed for them when old Simeon picks him up and holds him up. But they were going there to fulfill the rule of their church, which says, we don't expect you to take this boy and give him to God in the way that Abraham thought he had to do with Isaac, put him on an altar and kill him. But because we uh, are giving him back symbolically in his place, we are going to give you these two little uh, turtle doves, uh, and they will sort of take his place uh, as we offer him to you. All of the great events of redemption, uh, as we celebrate them during the year, seem to be centered around the role of Our Lady uh, in the life of, 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 of her precious son. And so next month in March, we have the Annunciation, March 25th, actually, nine months before the next Christmas. May 31st, we have the Visitation, when Mary so filled with uh, puzzle and joy over uh, what is going to happen to her, runs up to the hill country to meet Elizabeth, herself a very old woman, now expecting a baby, and that most precious, I seem to be using that word a lot this morning, but it keeps coming to me, that most precious event when Mary, Our Lady, comes into the presence of Elizabeth, and the unborn babe in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy because he is aware that he is in the presence of Almighty God yet to be born. I mean, it's just overwhelming when you try to think of the, of the mystery and the wonder of all of it. Uh, in, toward the end of summer, in August, we have the falling asleep of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In the, uh, later in the, in the fall, we have the uh, conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. But every single one of those are important because of her son. And each one of them uh, reminds us of the fact that that son, Jesus Christ, 
redeemed us. I was intrigued by that, and, and I decided this morning, and one good thing about having a laptop with you, you can go into the dictionary anytime you want to. So when Father Michael's dining room about five o'clock this morning, uh, I looked up the word uh, redemption. It's used a lot these days. Quiz shows and everything else, they'll have redemption, a chance to get your own back again, have a second try at it. And the dic- One of the dictionary definitions is to gain or to regain something in exchange for a payment. Doesn't that say it all? Our chance of life eternal, lost for us by the sin of our first parents, is given back to us by the sacrifice of Jesus. He takes our place, and we'll be hammering that home over and over again uh, during the season of Lent and as we move into Passion Tide. But dear friends, keep in mind the enormity of that. In many of the Jewish sacrifices, they would take a lamb and break its neck and sprinkle its blood all over the place. This little baby who was brought into the temple by its loving parents, the baby that was blessed by these two ancient people, these very elderly people who were waiting for some sign that it had come, This baby was to become the price that would be paid for your sin. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. But you know, yesterday at the ordination, as we were going down, we sang that uh, wonderful modern hymn, In Christ Alone, becomes more modern all the time as uh, someone adds verses to it to suit the occasion, and uh, very appropriately so. I say that in, in admiration and, and in thanksgiving for it. But in the second verse, uh, we have these words, Till on the cross that Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ. I stand. Isn't it incredible? that your sin was laid on him. God was not mad with Jesus. His wrath wasn't directed on Jesus. His wrath was directed on sin, which no matter how hard you tried, you could never get out of. Someone had to redeem you. So yes, we have a redeemer. As Father Bruce this morning stands at the altar and takes the bread and the wine, such ordinary things, and through the power of God, brings to the altar in a very special way our Redeemer, the one who took our sin, who paid our price, who made it possible for us to live forever. So when we get called home, we know it is exactly that. Every sin on him has been laid, and God is no longer angry with us. But he still expects us to acknowledge it and to accept it. So as we gather here at his altar throne this morning, as we come forward, as you do every week, some of you every day, as the daily Eucharist, the daily Mass is offered here, remember that in that little bit of bread and that little sip of wine, in whichever way you take it, in that is your Redeemer. And you say, thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift. 
almost beyond our comprehension, and yet it is there. And because we have it, surely we must be prepared to share it with other people and to bring them into that knowledge as well. The, a bishop from Africa, in a part of Africa where there's much desert land, said to a group that I was present with, and I, I'll never forget it, he said, the worst thing you can do in Africa, where I live, is to know where water is and not tell anyone else about it. It's a terrible a crime to, to commit, a terrible sin to, to know where people can get saving water and not go it. You know where the water is. Your experience this morning, how many will you tell about that water today? That's your challenge. It's my challenge. Thanks be to God that we found it. Now, let's share it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.